the bomb. We gonna drop the bomb. We come to drop the bomb. This is a journey into sound. A journey which along the way will bring to you new color, new dimension, new values, and a new experience. Brother Frank McComb yes, into the Bomb Station, the Bomb <laughs> Studio. Man, first of all, shout out to Cleveland and Chicago in the building, brother. We made it out. First of all, <laughs> yeah, we, we did. Should be did celebrating we? right now. It's a whole mm. bunch of cats from Chicago and Cleveland that didn't make it out. Man, let me just tell you how amazing God is, and I know you are a spiritual brother. Mm. This album Try right here in two thousand. Look at look at the old school Frank man. Now you gonna bring the evil spirit out now. Old, old school. Gonna bring the evil spirit old out. That's, that's 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 when I was that's when I was young and handsome. He gonna bring the evil spirit out. Oh, me now. The brother's still handsome. Because I don't look like that anymore. I was like when I came up in there, I was like I'm looking for this dude. Like, <laughs> I know you. Like, like, like where's that? Was, that? 19, you know? that was taken in 1998. I was 28 years old, man. Well, brother, you and the album like, came out in in 2000, so it sat on the shelf for a year. So, so. this was my introduction. To you, man. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the great city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first heard your voice, of course, I thought about a great Chicagoan by way of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. You work with his daughter. You know, his name is Donnie Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, you definitely have a Donnie and you also have a Stevie Wonder vibe, man. I want to talk about sort of what was it like growing up in Cleveland, being a black male growing up in the 70s and the 80s as a singer, man. What was that like, man? What was that? What was that like growing up during that time? Before or after I taught Donnie and Stevie how to dance? <laughs> after, after. I told Stevie, I said, "Don't you ever open your eyes for your whole life? Don't you ever open your eyes? I suck you if you open your eyes." But I want to see, man. I said, "No, you don't. No, you don't. Keep your eyes open. You gonna be a star. Watch." He listened. And they were your great. They were some of your influences, man. Yeah, they were among many. Yeah. To be honest with you, among many. The, the crazy thing is, I, I didn't listen to them any more than, than I did the Spinners. Wow. You know, Felipe Wynn and people, Bryce and Natalie Cole, yeah. Ramsey Lewis, Oscar Peterson, Herbie Hancock, and Chase Rushing, Joe Samples, and Crusaders. I've listened to a lot of stuff, man. Yeah. Shelly Caesar and the Caravans, James Cleveland, Billy Preston. I listened to a lot of stuff growing up. It's just that, it's just that uh, I'm a male version of my mother, my grandmother, and all of my aunts. So I'm the only man in my whole family singing. So there's no man to reference me. Wow. Couldn't tell you who my daddy is to this day. So, you know, I was told he was a singer, but then I was told he was great with his hands, too. So I do both. I can fix wow. almost anything. So um, I'm the only man to reference it to. Uh, I'm the only man in my family, rather, so there's no other man to reference me, too. So, you know, the first thing people are going to say is, Stevie, Donnie, I'm cool with that. Because yeah. Benson taught me when I was 17. George Benson told me, anybody ever tell you you sound like a legend, you better run with it. And I've been running, boy. And those are some good legends, though. You know, yeah. But, so and before, before a legend to tell me that himself, did. you know, because he told me himself that he went through it with with uh, with, with West Montgomery and Nat King yeah. Cole, and you know, yeah. So he had to go through the same thing, you know. So how was it being a, a kid growing up in Cleveland singing, man? I mean, growing up. Well, I didn't, I wouldn't sing at first. I wouldn't sing at first. I would only play. 
I mean, I had friends that knew I could sing. I went to the Cleveland School of the Arts and, uh, you know, school for gifted singers, musicians, you know, et cetera. And um, I, I got into the school as a vocal major, but keyboard was my minor. And I, I never, I, I would just never sing out in public. Now, when I started playing with the, in, in the clubs with the older guys, I started playing piano at 12, but at, at 15, I started hitting the clubs. And I would only play. I would never sing. Even when I started my trio at 17, Frank McCall trio, I would never sing. But I ended up working with a group called the Rude Boys out of Cleveland. Oh, Ohio. yeah, man. Joe Little, Buddy Bates, yeah. yeah. Melvin Stevenson, Larry Marcus, yeah. the late Larry Marcus, we called him Bingo. And, um, you know, Gerald Levert was one that got them signed to Atlanta, of course, with the help of Betty, his father. And um, Joe Little and I, we knew each other from the talent shows. I would always put the band together for the talent shows, and he would perform. And, and uh, Yvette Nicole Brown, the actress, yeah. she was in those talent shows with us. Miss Ross's talent show, I'll never forget. <laughs> we all came out of the same camp. And um, Joe, you know, he, he remembered me from the talent shows, and we would always go and support each other's gigs and whatnot. And he said, hey, man, Joe just got a sign in Atlanta. Why don't you come be part of the band? So I jumped in the band around 91, 90, 91, so around that time. And... Um, I wasn't the first guy to be the MD. It was actually a guy named Cliff Colson. And I love Cliff, man. He's somewhere in the hospital fighting for his life right now. He's going through some things. Man. In Houston, he's living in Houston. And um, so Cliff ended up getting a gig with the Winans. Great bass player. So he ended up going on the road with the Winans and the MD position fell in my lap. So uh, I was the first musical director to go on the road with him. And Eddie and Gerald used to tease me, though, because I would never sing. Eddie and Gerald would walk, like I'd be working on something like for the show or whatever. And Eddie and Gerald would walk near me, be close enough to me to where I can hear them. And Eddie would say, hey, Gerald. <laughs> Gerald say, yeah, Bert. Eddie say, see that boy right there? Gerald say, yeah, Bob. Eddie say, he don't want to make no money. He don't want to make no money. He won't open up his mouth and sing. <laughs> and they used to tease me like that. Yeah. And they would tease me like that. Yeah. <laughs> they always say that. But if you know, they, they would tease me like that all the time. And I was like, oh be like, man, leave me alone. Y'all figure it over, you know, whatever. But it was Eddie and Gerald who encouraged me to sing, to start singing out front. So I just um I demo I demoed one or two songs for the Rude Boys, but I just I just would not play I would only play but not sing out public. So so what does singing do for you, man? Spiritually, what does it do for it's you? freedom to me. I mean now, here I am at 48 with a whole lot under my belt. And that's pretty much nothing that I cannot do. You know how they say you're jack of all trades, master of none? Yeah. Well, I've mastered quite a few of them, and I'm proud to sit here and say it. So singing for me, as well as playing the piano, as well as being able to record my own records, as well as being able to book my own concerts and manage my own career, it's freedom. It's all freedom, and I have nobody telling me what I can and cannot do. Um, uh, or let me just put it to you this way. I don't have anybody telling me what I can't do and be wrong because I've proven that I can. So what is what does that drive come from? Does that come from the women that you, that you grew up with, grandma, auntie, being the only only young man in the house? What does that type of independence and freedom come from? That comes from always being the underdog. Okay. You know, always being, being the underdog. Just always being told that I wasn't going to make it. Always being told that... Uh, I was an idiot, that I was stupid, that I couldn't learn anything. And these are things that are true. This was spoken over me growing up, yeah. you know, by a few people that were close. Um, never having, 
not to shoot anybody, but never having family support, you know, never having financial support, being signed to two different labels that didn't know what to do. Well, three, two major labels and one Indian, they didn't know what to do with me. It was always politics that worked against me. Even being at the school of the arts, it was about politics. Politics, that's an evil spirit that's followed me all my life. And I have to continue to rebuke that thing every chance I get. And because of that, that drives me to continue to press forward. Because if you tell me I can't do something and I know I can't, I'm going to prove you wrong. But if you tell me I can't do something and I know I can't do it, I'm not going to be in denial. I'm not one to live in denial. I'm, I would tell you, yeah, you're right. I ain't doing that. <laughs> that ain't me. I'm still in my lane. So, yeah, but I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll take you down a couple of roads for me. When I auditioned for the School of the Arts, I so made it in high school. High school. Well, yeah. Yeah. Actually, actually, junior high school. Very similar. Back to the junior, junior. Oh, okay. Really. So you had it in you early then. I mean, yeah. I mean, very folks was down you to get into school of the arts. So in Baltimore, where I currently live, mm -hmm. Jada, Will, Jada, Pinkett Smith, and mm -hmm. Tupac went there. So it's not easy. Yeah, so you, you got to audition. Some skill. Yeah. You got to audition or prove that you're worthy of being in that school. Indeed. And that's what I did. I went. I, I um, sang for the head of the music department. I won't mention his name because he, he, he was the first one to to uh, use the politics against me. But um, I, I auditioned for him. Got right in like it was no problem, but no problem. Even played piano for him. He was like, hey, I'm really impressed, yada, yada, yada. So I get into the school, but there was another guy that was playing piano at the school. And I won't mention his name because I'm not trying to slam anybody or exploit anybody. But he, he was a great piano player. You know, it was a year over me. And he had been at the school forever, though, you know. But when I get there, uh, the director didn't give me to play. Yeah, he just wanted me to sing, or he would encourage me to play a different instrument. I learned how to play vibes because Gary Burton came to the school. They didn't have anybody play vibes at the school, so they made me learn how to play to impress Gary Burton. But then I jumped off the vibes and played the piano <laughs> when he came to the school. Yeah. So, but um, but what that what he did was was um, well what this school was about rather was they they trained us to be able to go and play gigs. We had to be responsible. For, for getting to the gigs ourselves, performing at the gigs, like having our choir robes, because it was a big Cleveland School of the Arts choir, we were responsible for having our robes clean, our transportation there, our transportation back home, and then being in school the next day on time and keeping your academics up. So um, I um, would, would, would see the, 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 the director of the Trying to say his name, <laughs> the director of the school. I was, I would see him with, it, with all of these corporate events on his desk, you know. So he would get calls, and we would have to go and play those corporate events. But then the Cleveland School of the Arts Jazz Trio would get called to go out, yeah, to go play corporate events. Well, there was one particular time where two calls came in at once, and the trio couldn't be in two places at once, and and again, you know, they were, they were for the same time. So I asked the director, I said, well, you know, piano, mind let me take another group of guys and go play. I want to take a bass player and drum and go play. I'll let you know. I was like, oh, okay. All right, cool. A few days go by. Music director, music director, can, can I take the guys and go play? I'll let you know. Week go by. Music director, music director. Can, can I, I want to take two guys and go play while the other guys play the other one. He said, position is, it, it canceled. So, no. The position for one is filled, but the other get canceled. I'm like, oh, okay, it's like that. Well, fast forward to my mama's house. So I'm working on, I'm got this Fender Rose piano, and I'm working on this Patrice Russian tune, and I'm practicing, learning Patrice, some stuff yeah. that she did from this album, Shout It Out. And there was this guy who was working on my mom's roof, on her building, who heard me in my bedroom. 
So he comes down, makes his way, because he know my mom, you know, and the guy that owned my mom's building. He came down, he said, boy, is that you playing down there? I said, yeah, that's me. He said, you need to come out and play with us, man. I was like 15, right? It's the roof, the cat working on yeah, the Yeah, he was a drummer, and he was playing at all the clubs, man. So he said, you need to come play with us. So I snuck out the back. My, mom lived, my mama's room was in the front. Yeah. My room was in the back. So I'm sneak out the back door with my Fender Rose, and I put it in the big truck, and I go play my gigs, make my little money. And uh, <laughs> the guys at school would ask me, how come you're not talking to the music director? I just called him that. How come yeah. you're not talking to the music director no more as time went by? How come you're not asking him to play? I said, why? Well, because you you know, you know can get out there and get that experience. I said, no, nah, bro, I don't mean it. I'm cool. You good. I said, what y'all getting the grade for? I'm getting paid for. So, <laughs> y'all go ahead. Y'all go ahead. I'm cool. Yeah. So, they were like, they started asking me, so, how you making money? You too young to be in clubs. I said, I ain't never too young, but keep a mouth shut. That's right. Just that simple. They so, just want to tame it. So what, what's, what's your, I, started, I started taking them out with me. So what's your greatest musical lesson that you've learned as a, as a musician or as, a, as, a, as an entrepreneur, as an independent artist? What's one politics. of your greatest lessons? Politics. Is, is it to circumvent the politics, to yeah, get around to, it, to, to, to go through it? Exactly. All of that. Every bit of that. Politics. I learned that you can have all the talent in the world, man, but if you don't know the game of politics or if you're not politically correct, you're going to be right in your bedroom working on your gear, playing your gigs or playing playing your on your craft, uh, practicing all day in your bedroom, in your living room. If you, if you don't know, let me tell you something. Politics is what's getting a lot of people these accolades and crackolades out here. If, 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 uh, if it was about your talent, man, I would have trophies all over my house. I'm not in denial. You got to be your own first fan or get out the game. I'm not in denial of my gear, of my gift, and and how to work all of my gear to make my own records, to produce them, mix them, master them, record them, sell them directly to the public. I'm your distributor. I'm everything. And all me is all of it's me. People don't believe me, but I re, I literally record my own. Records. Yeah, I looked at when we re, we were researching you, man. I was really proud proud of that to see that you were you know going independent. It's interesting because there's somebody that you work with, yeah. the little purple dude, yeah, Prince, who also it. had he he endorsed it. So what what's some what are some lessons that you learned from uh from him? And I have a everybody has a Prince story, man. Mm. Everybody had every had a Prince story. And my producer D, who's in here, didn't know I had this print story. I'm, I'm good friends with his ex-wife Manuela, mm, I know. and I used to do. And this, when you name her, you know you got to back it up. So I did a project with his god sister, man. Uh, we were doing a youth conference in Minnesota, and Prince wrote a song for us, man. I forgot all about this, man. Like print, <laughs> like literally, I forgot. And I and I called Tawana, his god sister, like, yo, <laughs> I realized that Prince wrote. She was the one that. Got him to do it, man. Oh, so yeah. when I knew I was going to be interviewing you, and you know, thank you to my good friend Ayana Gregory, Ayana Gregory. for us, man. That is my buddy. Um, so, what are some lessons that you learned from him, either up close or from a distance? Because one thing I'm hearing is this whole independent piece. Well, it goes back to politics, man. I mean, he taught me to blaze through it. You know, politics. He's the one that told me to brand myself. So the FM that everybody see, yes, that's me. I, I wrote my signature out about a thousand times until I found the right one. He told me, brand yourself. He told me, don't do contracts, do agreements. Because yeah. the moment they con you in a contract, they didn't con you. Because most likely, it's something that uh, it's something that's going to take a piece of your life, a piece of your soul. You know, make sure you know what you're agreeing to. And if you don't understand it, find some help. You know, and, and even to this day, if I don't understand something, I'm putting the brakes on it or I'm going to call somebody to help me. You know, but um, politics, man, politics. 
even down to dealing with the record labels, man. He was the one that encouraged me to go on my own once Motown and Columbia Records didn't get it. There were political issues there. I mean, when I was signed to Motown, I was signed to Mojazz, which was which was the jazz album for Motown at that time, in the early 90s. And Polygram came and bought the label. When Polygram bought the label, all the little guys were forgotten about. I was one of the little guys. Politics, once again. It was about Johnny Gill, uh, Bell Biv DeVoe, anything that Biv 10 Entertainment had signed, which was uh, ABC, BBD, BBD. Uh, a, uh, uh, new, uh, what was that? Uh, Boys to Men. Boys to Men. Uh, Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Stevie is who they cared about. And Queen Latifah. She was there at Motown. Everybody was else. Was there then? No. Gidar? No. Yeah, okay. No, this was still Gerald Busby and Stephen okay. Keever. Um, Stephen Keever was the one that signed me to Mojazz, actually. Uh, I was working for Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And uh, we were at Philly International. I was doing some session work, and Steve came through. Heard me one time, signed me on the spot. Same guy that signed Jill Scott to Hidden Beach Records years later. So, really good guy. Um, so, you know, politics came in into that situation. And I put out two records. One record nobody's ever heard. The other record was Bootlegged. And uh, you know, Bootlegged in the UK. In uh, Birmingham, England. For 25 pounds at the time, it was 50 US dollars. And it was, they were all CDRs. Yeah, so I've always been on the opposite side of the law, basically. So let's talk about legacy, man. What legacy do you want to leave? Uh, the Frank McComb legacy. When you leave this planet, what's that legacy you want to leave behind you? You know, that's a good question because nobody ever asked me. I don't think anybody really gives a damn, to be honest. I'll just keep it real. I don't think. I normally ask good questions. I, I don't think. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. Because that one right there, I don't think anybody really care what I leave. Because there's, because there's this conversation, you know, legacy over currency. And I'm sure there's something that you want to sort of leave behind. Is it a message? Is it a, is it a song? Is it, well, is it a movement? Well, um, I like to leave a good reputation, for one. I don't want to go out like, I don't talk politics. I never talk politics when I'm going to keep it real. I don't want to go out like James Brown. And I don't want to go out like Bill Cosby. I don't want to go out like that. I don't. Um, I, I would love to leave a good reputation. The fact that Frank McComb gave it his all. There was nothing he didn't accomplish that he didn't set out to do. And I accomplished everything that I've set out to do so far. To know how to control my own entity. To do every single job. You know, for a record. That a record that an artist would need for a record company to do for him. I'm doing it. To do every job for a booking agency for that artist. I'm doing it. You know, to, for management. I mean, this is my own engineer. Literally everything. Yeah, I watched you in a second. My reputation, I, I would like for it to be known that Frank McCall was a soul jazz superman. There was nothing he can do. And I say I'm a master at him because I get paid. Once you get paid at it, brother, you professional. <laughs> so, I mean, every record I sell, every every record royalty comes home. I don't have a label taking, uh, taking a piece. You know, I don't have a label that's, uh, uh, that just doesn't get it. You know, I, I, I just, I'm doing it myself. Every, every single royalty comes home, man. Every record sale, every dime from every record sale comes home. When, when someone leaves a Frank McComb show, or comes to a Frank McComb show, what should they expect? Hmm. A man that's going to tell him to be quiet because he's bearing his soul in front of people. Just that simple. Don't come to the shows and talk. That's not what that setting is for, you know. The setting is not for you to come to the theater. is not set up for you to come and sit down and 
start talking about your travel arrangements for your for your vacation. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff I hear coming through my monitors when people talk that loud at the show. Wow. I can hear their conversation and I sit there and have a conversation with them on stage. <laughs> so expect that if you come in to talk. So you come in to bury your soul. Yeah, so I mean any anytime somebody's in front of an audience and they're singing and they're pouring out their gift from their body to 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 you. Respect them enough to listen to it because that's what you're going to get. You're going to get an experience. So have you always approached your music that way? Because I mean, you know, as, as cats get much older mm-hmm. than the sound bearing my soul, were you like, was that the younger Frank? I was like that. I've been like that. I've been like that. Even sitting and playing the piano in the clubs in Cleveland. Never even opening my mouth. Same thing, man. Been the same way the whole time. I think that's one of the reasons why Prince and I got, so, uh, got along so well. Because I was probably one of the few musician, musicians that he couldn't tire out. We used to play, man, in Cleveland. We played till we sweat so much till we lost ounces of weight. We would lose weight playing, man. It would be like a sauna in those, in those bars and those clubs. But we played hard, man. And and um, I rehearsed with my band the same way we would play on stage. And then when Prince and I started working together, he he hired me and my band to work with him for the 3121 parties. And uh, we, would, we were in a place called Center Staging in Burbank, California. And Prince would come to rehearsal fully dressed, makeup, heels, everything, ready to work. Ready he to would work. come to rehearsal like he was playing a gig, man. And we would we had set times, man. I think our set times were like one to five or one to seven, something like that every day. Sometimes we wouldn't get out of there until ten o'clock in the evening. And he didn't care about money because he blocked out the place. That's one thing that little guy did. He never did nothing small. Be little he did everything big. Everything was big. Yeah, he didn't play. Money was no object to Prince. So, Prince taught me the integrity of performance. The integrity of performance. Treat your rehearsal like you're going to treat, like you would treat the concert. I mean, there's one thing to get in there if you're just practicing parts and you're getting your parts and stuff down, but I don't believe in hitting a rehearsal where you just touch and go. Let's just make sure we got the parts and leave. No, man, you got to have chemistry. The only way you're going to have chemistry is to play, you know? You can get together and kind of, you know, go over parts and nickel and dime and tweak here and there. And do it. But no, man. Are you going to do that on stage in front of people? Don't be lazy. So that's what bearing your soul means. Oh, yeah, because you're giving it your all, man. You're not holding back. And for me, I'll have to be honest, man. I'm doing it for God first. I'm doing it for the Lord first. And then everybody else catch on. You catch on, cool. You don't cool. And that's a, that's another reason why I, I that, that talking at a concert is a pet peeve to me. Especially if you're doing it for God, because you you're actually allowing Him to use you to to put out what it is He put in you to give to somebody else to minister to Him, and then that person next to you is trying to catch on to this to to, to what you're giving them, but you next to them talking, so you messing up for Him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I'm not speaking on that stage just for myself. I'm talking about the one that's trying to be fed. They paid their money to come and be fed, not to hear you talk. You know. You know, and then I tell, sometimes I tell my testimony, I tell my story because I don't see my life just as a career. I don't see my career just as me going out making money. No, but I was put on this earth to touch somebody's life with this music, you know, with these lyrics. And just, I mean, I am a walking testimony, man. I've had, I got three piano lessons my whole life. Three piano. So years later, but there is a story, man, after being uh, told as a kid, oh, he ain't going to learn nothing, man. He's stupid. He ain't going to learn nothing. I don't even know why you're trying to teach that boy. That's what was spoken yeah, that was what was spoken over me while my mom was trying to teach me. Yeah, we so, hear that a lot, man, especially yeah. the boys that I work with. And to hear you say, and I, because I studied you, I researched you, and I knew 
I knew that the spirit was in there to hear you say soul yeah. and that you're bearing your soul as a mm-hmm. man of color in front of people. As a man of color and a man of yeah. God. And a man of and God. And I ain't perfect, so man. Don't get me wrong, but that's what I do it for. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's um, I've had nothing but the odds. Not You, you know how they say it was stacked against me? The odds were stacked. Man, let me tell you, they were built against me. Well, being born in Cleveland, brother, yeah. I'm from the shop. I'm right next door, so I know. Yeah. It wasn't easy, man. I, I know those challenges. It wasn't so easy. I, so I know you got to get out of here, man. This is a part of the show we call the the super bomb questions, man. I'm gonna throw out a statement. I just want you to sort of fill in the blank. You ready, Uh-oh. brother? Uh-oh. These are real easy, man. So what? What's no, your... they're easy to him because he didn't want to throw them out. I gotta think easy. about it. Folks, <laughs> so so what, what's your, easy to you. <laughs> what's your What's your favorite sound? Uh, Fender Rhodes. Fender Rhodes. What's your favorite? No, no, no. See, that can go pretty wild now. What's your favorite sound? What's your favorite sound? Uh, now, you know, hey, hey. Uh, I've been married 24 years. <laughs> that, that could go pretty wild. That could go different ways. Yeah. So we gonna, we I, like, I like birds, too. Now, I like you nature. Like birds, so too, huh? I like birds. I like I like the sound of water and the yeah. waves and crashing. But if we're talking musically, Fender Rhodes. <laughs> Give me your, what's your favorite word? <laughs> <laughs> It's a man of God now, brother. Oh, my what's favorite, your, what's favorite word. word. Oh, my favorite word. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. My favorite word. I've got, I got, I got a lot of favorite words. You catch me on the wrong day. <laughs> so you want to cast to be like the hell with you and pray over you. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Jesus wasn't Please. no punk now. Jesus, Jesus wasn't a punk. He wasn't a punk. I tell you, Jesus was hardcore. He was from the ghettos, man. He was. Hardcore, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I would have to choose one of them. Give choose, me one word. Choose one favorite word. I think. Can I give you two? Give me two. Life and freedom. Life and freedom. Yeah. If there's one book that you've given out to many people, uh, what book would that be, man? The Bible. The Bible. Right. Definitely the Bible. One artist that you that you wish that you could perform with before you transition to this other life. Who would that be? If you had an opportunity. Probably. Oh, that, that's that's a tough one there. Can I give you dead two? or alive? No, no, no! I wouldn't say a lot because dead is too late. No, dead is too late. Who would it be? I got to give you two of them. Give me two, please. Herbie Hancock and Dr. Dre. Herbie Hancock. It's interesting. Both of them were in. We talked about the Q's documentary. Yeah. Dr. Dre opened the documentary. Yeah. Herbie Hancock uh, was yeah. in there, man. So yeah. I know you got a. I know you got a show to perform, brother. This is good. Let me just tell you how amazing God is for me to be in love of your music to interview my girl Ayanna Gregory. And That's she said, there's somebody I would love for you to sit down with. And let me just tell you, brother, for you to, for her to give me your number and you okay with <laughs> right, it, right. not knowing what I do or knowing who I'm connected to, but the fact mm-hmm. that you knew I was connected to her says, says yeah. a lot about who you are, man. I really it says a lot about who she is. Yeah. Because you know what? I met, I met Ayana and I met her pops. Mm-hmm. I, met, I met Ayana and Dick Gregory through George too. So how you meet people and who you meet people through make all the difference in the world. Indeed. So that's... Another thing that I've had to learn, being literally independent, you know, uh, being the good guy and the bad guy, is uh, I have to be really discerning of people's characters, and because I don't have that uh, middleman. Yeah, when you hit me up, man, I was like, this cat responded quick. That's because I like business. I love I love business. I love making money. I love repeat business, and I love doing for other people. You know. So, I mean, I, I'm going to tell you, man, sometimes having that middleman ain't always the greatest thing because I had, I've had a, oh, well, that's a whole nother bottle of communion and another hour <laughs> story. Yeah. But uh, I, I've had people where uh, 
I would have them be that middle person because sometimes, sometimes they don't, you know, they don't want to talk to the audience. They want to talk to that middle person for whatever reason. But I, don't know, I understand why. Let me take that back because most artists don't know their value and they don't know how to speak up for themselves. They're either, they're either asking for too much or asking for not enough, you know, or not asking for enough. Rather, I said that incorrectly. Um, they don't know their value. A lot of them don't even know how to talk business for themselves. So um, I've had to learn how to do it. Life for me was on the job training, really. To be to learn how to be a man was on the job training. Everything about my life was on the job training. I have not been sat down and spent on nothing. I had to learn a lot of stuff on my own. So uh, it took for me, it, it took for the industry to be used against me for me to learn it because nobody sat me down and schooled me on nothing. So that's why I'm quick to give the knowledge because I'm trying to help somebody else to keep them from going to all the pitfalls, the pitfalls that I fell in. Yeah. So 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 that's uh. So what would, what would the younger Frank McComb say to that 48-year-old brother? This I, cat right here. I, I would, what would the younger Frank say? I think everything that every man would say is, if I knew then what I know now. Yeah, I would tell, I would tell him. I would, I would tell that dude right there. I would, wow, that's a whole lot I would have told that dude. <laughs> it's a lot I would have said to him, Darnell. Mm-hmm. I, I, oh, just let me think of just one of the things I would have said to him was don't waste your time with this one, that one, that one, this one, that one, that one. They're all the same. They're all in the same part of shit. That's what I would have said. All of them. Look at the character trait in each person, man. You're looking at the wrong thing. You're trying to get this person to do the job that they were supposed to do when they were put in your life. No, this one ain't even supposed to be in your life, man. Look at his character. Look at where he come from. Look at what he's got. If he ain't done it for nobody else, it'll make you think he's going to do this same job for you. He doesn't have a track record, Frank. Why are you trusting him so? Don't trust it. Oh, same one. Here's another one. Don't try. Oh, another one. And another one. Don't, don't, no. Don't trust them, Frank. They're going to take up your time. Let me tell you something, man. I said all the time. Money is something we make over and over again, but time is something we ain't never get back. You can't even buy time. There's a scene in Changing Lanes with Samuel Jackson and Ben Affleck, and I'll never forget that line I say it on stage all the time. When Ben got in the car and he left something in Samuel Jackson's car, he said, I can give you, I'll give you millions of dollars. And Samuel Jackson said, man, but you can't give me my time. Can't. Can't give it back. Can't do it, man. So, brother, I appreciate you. Can't I know you got a show, man. So Much good. love to you. We forever oh, connected to hip. Now you sound, your engineer, man. Right there, you got the camera, man. I'm coming to the show to interview this Negro, and he puts me on the show. You got a sound you engineer. You gig now. You got a gig now. So I appreciate you, brother. Much love, man. All good, man. Love. Have a great show tonight. Take care. That's the plan. Bless you, man. Thanks, Thanks for the exposure. Thank you. Oh, oh, oh.